sister friend, it's Heather Georgell, your certified life and NLP practitioner. And I'm Cynthia Fields, your CBF, certified best friend and mother of three. And together, we want to make doing the inner work not, not suck by talking about all things womanhood, motherhood, sex, and, and everything, everything in between. between. Are you ready? Let's talk. This is the Sex and Motherhood Podcast. Today's episode is going to be absolutely amazing and one you will certainly remember. Going from courage, hope, healing, overcoming darkness, and to seeking the light. We have the amazing Tiffany Fletcher, who is the author of Mother Had a Secret, born to a mother diagnosed with multiple personalities. Tiffany faced circumstances with courage and the ability to see the good. It was her belief in God and her love of writing and music that helped Tiffany cope with the difficulties of her childhood and offered her peace amidst all the chaos. Please welcome the amazing Tiffany Fletcher, and I'm sure there were a few things that we left out. Please fill in the blanks for us, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, A little about myself. I am a homeschooling mother of five, almost three adults and two teenage girls. And um, I love them. They have been my life for the past two decades. So it's been a wonderful blessing in my life. I also am a writer. I ghost write for business leaders, entrepreneurs, speakers, but I also write my own books. And I just really find value in the spoken word and I enjoy it a lot. So I do that. I also serve in my community and in my free time, I play the ukulele. I really like to play the ukulele and sing. It's so fun. It relieves stress and it just helps me to feel good about life and have a sunshiny day. Um, Above all, I love Jesus. He is my, he is a friend of mine and he is probably my biggest champion and hero in my life. He's also my biggest motivator. That is a little bit about me. Had no idea about the ukulele. That is super cool. I mean, I knew you sang, but I did not know that you also played the ukulele. (laughs) That's so super cool. Super cool. That's so cool. Um, So you said that you ghostwrite and also you write your own books. What took you down that path of wanting to write your own literature? And not just writing your own pieces. I started writing when I was five. Um, I got honorable mention in my writing fairs. You know, I've just always loved it. But what really got me going in writing is when I was in junior high. I grew up with a mom who had multiple personalities. Um. She had 14 different altars. Um, They ranged in in age from a three-year-old little boy all the way up to a very violent altar named Bill. When Bill was out, it it was very, very hard. He was very abusive. It was just really challenging growing up. And uh, in the other altars, when they came out, there was, you know, different challenges with each one. But um, it made for a very angry Tiffany. (laughs) Let's just say that. And so when I was in junior high, I went to a therapist And uh, let's just be honest, before I went, before I left home, my mom said, what goes on in this house stays in this house. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, but I want you to go to the therapist and I want you to get better and get over your anger issues. And I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be a little troubling if I can't talk about what's going on in my house. But anyway, I went there and I sat with the therapist and the therapist asked me about life and everything. And I just, I just was very quiet about it. And she said, 
do you hate your mother? And I was like, I would never say I hate my mother because I'm a good Christian girl. And you just don't say that about your mother. And, and she said, well, do you struggle with your mother? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. During this conversation, I obviously said nothing about what was going on in my home because I was told that I couldn't. And so that therapist went to her bookshelf and she pulled out a composition notebook and she brought it over to me and she gave it to me. And she said, I need you to go home and write your feelings down in this notebook. She said, if you hate your mother, write, you hate your mother. And I was like, I can never say that. And she said, write it down, rip it up and throw it away if you need to. But she pointed to my heart and she said, as long as you keep it in there, it's going to continue to hurt you. But if you can take it out and put it on paper, then it will no longer hurt you you will be happier and it will be easier for you to manage the anger that you have inside. And she said, if you can get it out of there onto the paper, the paper will take that for you. And that's the first time I really started putting my thoughts and my emotions and everything into writing. And I realized it was a really good avenue for me. And I learned valuable skills from it. I learned how to tell stories. I learned how to um, help myself. And so, sorry, that was a long story, but to get into ghostwriting. So um, it's interesting, like when you write things for yourself, you don't really make a lot of money off of it. Um, Ghostwriting, you do. (laughs) So I learned that I have a talent and I feel like there are so many people in the world that have a story. They have a story, but they don't know how to tell it because they don't have the skills or the talent to write it. And so I feel like if you're going to get your car fixed, you take it to a mechanic. If you want to write your story, you go to a writer. My clients, I interview them. I transcribe the interviews. I sit down with them and I, I talk to them about outlining the book and chapters and the stories of their lives and the principles that they want to teach. And then I write a book for them with their story so that they can have an avenue to share their story with the world. And I'm very selective in the stories that I choose because I have to make sure that I'm passionate about it and that it's spreading light in the world. And so um, a lot of my clients are, are inspirational speakers, people who work for nonprofits, and just people that are going out there trying to be the good in the world. So that's how I got into ghostwriting. And I love it. It's so much fun. I get being able to write it out when you felt you weren't allowed to speak it. And being in that fear of what may happen if you did speak it, but to be able to work through what was happening inside and put it in written form is just really powerful. I'm sure that it was really difficult to be in that dark space when I know you to be such a person of light. When was the time that you really felt that you were coming out of that darkness and really stepping into that light for yourself that you could spread it to all of those around you? Um, For me, that came when I actually served a mission for the LDS church. I, um, my sister was serving a mission at the time. Um, There was a really terrible thing. Like when my sister said that she was going on a mission, my mom's friend altar came out, threatened her with a butcher knife. So she was going to kill her because she was leaving home and was, she wasn't going to allow it. So um, serving a mission was a huge ordeal for us because it really was something that my mother, especially um, really struggled with us doing. But my sister, she went to the Great Lakes and uh, she sent me a lighthouse and she said, even though we have grown up in darkness, we can still be a light to others. Sorry, I get emotional. And so since that time, that was the first lighthouse I ever received. And um, since that time, lighthouses, like I studied what lighthouses were. And um, the coolest thing about lighthouses is that they're built on a strong foundation. My foundation is 
Jesus Christ. They, they're each unique and different. You can't take a lens um, from one in Washington and put it in Florida. It wouldn't work. They're built for where they stand and they shine for the distance they need to shine. And so they're each unique. They're all painted differently. And the beautiful thing is that a darkened lighthouse never helped anyone. The light from the lighthouse is so important. And so I started really thinking about myself as a lighthouse and saying, okay, even though this was a dark spot in my life, you know, darkness coming out of darkness, that if I feed the light, that's the other cool thing about lighthouses in the old lighthouses, um, there was a little shot, there's a, like a little room next to the lens and the, the lighthouse keeper would feed oil, stay in that there and feed oil into the lamp every hour so that the lamp would continue to shine. And so I really took kind of the parable of the 10 versions about the oil, you know, and, and filling myself with oil and with um, so that I could keep my light shining brightly. And that was really my first experience. And so that got me to my mission. I was in the visitor center in um, Independence, Missouri, and also Liberty Jail. And um, while I was there, I wasn't getting letters from home. I'd been out for three months and I hadn't received anything from and so I asked my mission president if I could call home and he said, oh no, it's just missionary jitters. Just forget yourself and go to work, you know, kind of thing. And I said, I, I really need to make sure my mom's okay. And, and you have to understand that I was a second oldest of six kids. So my sister was on a mission at the same time. Cause we're about, you know, we're, we're very close in age. And so she was just finishing up her mission. I was just leaving and um, I hadn't heard anything. And so I knew that all my brothers and sisters at home were still there. And there was that violent altar, right? And I needed to make sure that everyone was okay. And uh, I said, I just need to make sure my mom's okay. And he said, well, is your mother sick? And I said, uh, kind of. And he said, tell me about your mother. So for the first time, I really felt I was okay and safe to talk to someone about what was going on at home. Like, I think that's the first time that I ever voiced what was going on at home was on my mission as a missionary. And um, I told him about, she was addicted to prescribed medication. I told him about the butcher knife. I told him that she strangled me often. I told him that she was sexually abused for, by her father from the time she was three to the time she was 18. So for 15 years, she was sexually abused by her father, which is what caused the dissociation in the first place. Um, I told him all of those things. And he asked me if I had ever been sexually abused. And I said, no, I, I hadn't. And he sat there for a very long time, what seemed like eternity. And it was just very contemplative. And he said, well, it sounds to me like your mother was your savior. And I just said, I don't understand how you could put my mother and savior in the same sentence. Did you not hear me say she threatened to kill me on a regular basis? Like, I don't understand how you could put those together. And he said, because someone who is sexually abused as much as your mother often perpetuates the cycle. And he said, your mother didn't. She stopped it. And he said, I have no doubt that your childhood memories are hard but they are nothing compared to what your mother experienced on a daily basis because she built a bridge and stopped it. Your childhood was better than hers. Your children's childhood will be better than yours and the cycle will heal. He didn't say that like what I experienced was nothing, but what he meant was compared to what my mother experienced, like I did not have to experience that. I did not have to lose my innocence in, in that, in my childhood, you know, but my mother did every single day. And, uh, he helped me see my mom. It was the first time I really saw my mom as a child of God 
and not the monster that I thought she was. And so he really helped me to just start seeing her from a different perspective and recognizing that instead of the person that hurt me, that was constantly hurting me, she really was taking those things internally and instead of perpetuating them onto me. And so that really started a journey of me coming out of the darkness because it's really about your mindset and your perspective, right? And how you view the circumstances that you're in. So it's helping me move out of the darkness and into the light and embracing the light, not just for myself, but for my mother and for my children. So it was a really, um, it was an incredible experience for me. And it was exactly obviously what I needed in order to start stepping into the light more fully. It wasn't talking to my family that I needed at that moment. I did get to communicate with them. You know, it was just, that was the the tool that God gave me to give me the courage to speak. You know, like it's what I felt that I needed, but what I really needed was to be heard and to be able to talk to my mission president about something that I had never talked to anyone about before. So um, I don't even remember the conversation, to be honest with you, with my family, but that conversation with my mission president, I will never forget. It is seared in my mind and my heart and will be forever. When you find that safe haven to where you finally get to use your voice, it's almost like when you're in the darkness for so long, I might get emotional. The darkness starts to feel comfortable because you don't know any better. So then when you finally see the light, that's when you start to realize, wow, I'm actually uncomfortable. And you don't know that you're uncomfortable because it's been happening for so long. People think that when you're in that dark spot that it's bad. And I've never viewed being in the darkness as bad. I've always kind of viewed it as the opportunity to grow because really your brightest days come from going through the darkness and realizing that there is something better for you at the end, that there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. Because when I have felt the most alone, like in this abyss of just feeling so empty and like falling off the cliff, you literally can't see a way out. And it's so dark. There's just like this glimmer of light that you can see. And sometimes it's a person and sometimes it's just an object that makes you think of something that you remember. And it gives you just that glimmer of hope that it's almost like a hand is like coming towards you and like pulling you so that you can finally see the full scene rather than having like those dark shades on where you can't see anything because you've just been in like this darkness. Because without the darkness, you wouldn't recognize the joy of the light right? You wouldn't recognize how important and valuable it is to you. You were given the chance at still like a young age to say all of the things that needed to be said. It's almost like it just coming out of you, like just coming out like this darkness. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe I watched some weird show or something, but like (laughs) the smoke of like darkness coming out as you spoke where it was just this release to where you finally were heard, you were seen, you knew you were loved, you knew that someone cared enough to ask the right questions and it was just guided. And like while you were talking, I was getting like goosebumps. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I'm interested to know how you're bringing up where it was in that darkness. You did have a love for your mom, which you found out you st- you did have later in life instead of so much hatred for your mom. You didn't quite use that word, but like that 
fear for your mom and all of those things and then gaining this new perspective for your world. Do you feel that that has directly shifted the way that you view being a primary caregiver and being a mother to your own children? It certainly has changed my perspective and things. So being the second oldest of six, my older sister was very sick a lot of the time. So so I pretty much raised my brothers and sisters. Like I, I just took care of them. And I always call my children out. They're my second set of children that I, that I helped to raise. Um, but it has definitely changed my perspective. I So that anger, interestingly enough, um, carried on into my early um, motherhood. And uh, I remember I was pregnant with my fifth child. So I had, I have five children and they, I had them all in six and a half years. So it was really crazy close together. Um, and so my oldest was six. And I remember that I got so angry that I slapped him across the face. And that was a turning moment for me. I realized I cannot, I just said, I am not going to be my mother. And I'm not like my father was abusive as well, like physically abusive, but just the stress and strain of things. He's He's not anymore, but he was when I was a kid. And because I was considered the black sheep of the family, like I would, I would rebel in, I mean, my rebellion is saying no. And I would, I would, you know, I would get in serious trouble. Like I remember saying no once to my dad and he like threw me against the wall. Like he hit me so hard. I went against the wall and the, the picture fell down that was made out of wood and it gave me a concussion. And, and so um, anyway, it was those things that were really trying. And so I felt that anger still in me when I was a young mother. And when I slept my son, I, I just vowed that I was never going to be my parents, that I was not going to bring that into my relationship with my children. And so I looked for a um, anger management class. So if the community that I was living in had community classes, there was an anger management class. So I I signed up for it. I registered. And the first day I went in, it was at night. And when I walked in there, everyone else that was there were um, these big burly men that were there because it kept them out of prison. Like they had to go. Like they had to go to anger management if they didn't want to go to jail. And so here I was like eight months pregnant, this young mom. And I was like, well, this is, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do it. And so I just went in and I sat at the front of the class. So I didn't have to see who was behind me. And because um, I was always worried about going to car, the car by myself, but they all had to stay and get their paper filled out saying that they were there. So I could just like leave bolts really fast <laughs> to the car. And I was always in good good place. But there was one thing in that class, like I can't, I don't remember really honestly anything that I learned in the class except for one thing that changed everything for me as a mother. And that was, they told this story about this Indian chief who was, um, who had a grandson and his grandson was getting ready for battle. Then his, his grandfather said, he, he said, son, there are always two wolves fighting in every person. And he said, there's always the black wolf, which is hate and anger and and lust and greed and all of those bad things in the world. And he said, the white wolf is love and kindness and goodness and charity and all of those good things in the world. And they're constantly fighting within every soul. And the grandson said, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather said, well, depends on which one you feed. And uh, from that moment, I realized I am not going to feed the dark wolf. I am going to feed 
the white wolf. And, and in my mind, I'm not going to feed the darkness. I'm going to feed the light, right? That's really what it came down to is that I am not going to allow my thoughts take me down a road where that anger gets so bad that I'm willing to hurt a child because of something they said or did that I didn't like. And so that really helped shape me as a mother. It helped shape me because um, I started feeding the light. Um, in my life. I started making sure that scripture study was there. I started making sure the temple attendance was there. I, I I made sure that I was doing like even just kindness, right? Like saying nice things. And I remember my husband said once, he's like, every time I come home, you always tell me all the bad things that the kids have done and all the hard things throughout the day. And it makes me struggle because it's hard to love them knowing that they hurt you. He's like, I need to know the good things that they do so that I can start, I can love them too. Like my kids, I, I would get this little mommy's book of goodness is what I called of good deeds or something like that. And every time they um, did something nice, like um, before it was like, it seemed like it was chaos all the time. But um, I started doing this and I just said, okay, I would write my book and I'm like, this is my, this is mommy's book of good deeds. And they'd be like, what is that? Every time you make a good choice, I'm going to write it in here. So when dad comes home, he can read all of the good things that you did today. And so then they would just start trying to do good things because they wanted to be in my book. And so I started doing that and it was the best thing for all of us because then I started seeing the good. I started looking for the good in my children, the good in my husband and we'd write it in the book and my kids would love it. And they'd be like, Hey, I'm in mommy's book, dad. And like, you know, like, look at what I did. Mommy, where's the book? You know? And it just, it changed. Like when you start change your focus, it really does change your life in every aspect of your life. I'm just picturing you being eight or nine months pregnant, walking into a, a class with a bunch of court ordered anger management dudes. Like <laughs> as soon as you were like, they were there and I whispered to his like they were court ordered and that's why we were laughing um to ourselves because I just like picture you just walking in there and a part of me saw like myself because I was very angry growing up as well I mean our listeners know that I was abused emotionally physically sexually I was also a very angry person and I had also gone to um not an anger management class but I mean like I saw a therapist for it and I would just like, I was just like picturing like, what if that was me? What if I had to go and walk into this class? I was like, I would turn around and walk away. And I was like, she's so brave. She went in there like knowing all these people are there because they have done some really crazy stuff. I was just thinking, what were those big burly men thinking? Oh my gosh, she's eight months pregnant. What? <laughs> this lady must be hardcore. <laughs> She's here and we're here. Like, what are we doing wrong in our lives? Right. Or, you know, maybe they thought, oh my gosh, like there's this mom here. What if that was my mom that was here? Like you never know where people's mind goes, right? Yeah. So it's very possible that just you showing up that day, even though you felt like you were in such this angry space, mm -hmm. it's possible that you were spreading, spreading, you were spreading a little bit of light for all of those big court ordered people that were there and you just, you never know. I mean, yeah. it's the trickle effect, right? It is. And then when you were talking about the good deeds, mm -hmm. my husband has said the same thing to me before. He's like, these kids are driving me insane. <laughs> or, you know, so-and-so did this, or this kid did this, or that, or whatever. Like our kids? Do you like them? Love them no matter what. But I was like, it's really hard sometimes when you're home by yourself with these young children. And so then I've been really trying to find more positive. And so when he gets home, 
telling him all these things. But I'm going to start a good deeds book now because that is genius, Tiffany. Genius. It is genius. It's so smart. I don't know if you know this, Tiffany, but we view motherhood not as just doing the pickups for school, not just doing the dishes, the meals. That's all part of primary caregiving. We feel that motherhood at its core is the relationship that you are building with your family and your husband and your kids on that individual basis. Motherhood is not all of the things that you have to do. It's not a list of things that need to be checked off because relationships continue to grow. Because of the experiences that you've had growing up, you created like this book of good deeds and you're teaching your kids these things. How do you feel like it's influenced your choices of who you are picking for friends and how you're choosing to cultivate relationships with like strangers or, you know, just your family in general and how you've taught them to protect themselves from things that you suffered through so that they have the knowledge to move forward. Let's just talk about relationships. Like for me, especially with my children, I wanted to make sure that my relationship with my children was definitely better than my relationship with my mother. I wanted to make sure that first of all, they knew that they were loved. I wanted to make sure that whenever I made a mistake, I apologized for it. I didn't just say, I would never, I've never said, because I said so, that's why I want to give them the same respect that I would want from them. And so if they ask me why for something, I will, I will give them the explanation. We can talk about it. I've always given them the freedom of choice you know, and sometimes when they're little, it's like I give them three choices and they get to choose one, right? But they still get to feel like they're making choices from a young age. And I feel like giving them the freedom of choice and giving them the respect that they deserve as children in helping them um, recognize that they have a voice, um, it, it matters to me because I felt like I didn't have a voice. And so that has been really good for my relationship with my children because they come to me even as adults. They still, they talk to me, they come to me with their struggles. And and I feel like that's because that relationship that I, I wanted to be opposite of what my mother was. And so I've tried really, really hard to be that. My husband, like his father left and he was eight. So all he had was his mother. My mother had multiple personalities. So all I had was my father. He's learning how to be a father and I'm learning how to to be a mother by doing the things that are opposite of what our respective parent did. But that relationship has really strengthened our marriage to help us recognize, okay, we don't want to be what our parents were as much as we love them. Like I'm not in any way saying our parents were terrible people. I love them very much. And I'm grateful for all that they did to bring us to where we are. But we had a lot of baggage coming into marriage that we needed to learn to work with so that our relationship could strengthen. And I I think that communication is key for us. And also just seeing the good in one another, seeing the good in our children. I remember when my husband and I were first married, like he would always put the toilet paper on the roll the wrong way. Like it would always just be the wrong way. And I would be like, like every time I would go to the bathroom and he had put the toilet paper on the roll, I'd be like, does he not love me? We've talked about this before and he's not listening to me. He's not, he's not putting it on the roll. Doesn't he not understand how important this is to me? And then one day I was sitting there and I was like, you know, woe is me. I can't believe my husband put the toilet paper on the roll the wrong way. And the spirit, literally the spirit, I heard these words, Tiffany, stop it. Stop it. He got toilet paper for you. You do not have to go running around trying to find toilet paper, right? He has got it for you. 
And he may have not put it on the way that you wanted to, but how simple is it for you to turn it around? It was a great conversation and I may sound crazy, but I know it like God was talking to me and he's like, stop getting after him because he didn't do it the way that you want to and start seeing the good in what he did do. And so that kind of changed everything for me in my relationship with my husband and my children. I don't ever say negative things about them to other people because I don't ever want that kind of energy to be out in the world that I had said something unkind about my children or my husband. I They are good people. And And as I see the good in them, I recognize how grateful and blessed I am to have the relationships in my life that I do have because of the good people that they are. And in the question of how does that help relate to the people that I choose? I love people, first of all, who love Jesus, of course, but I love people who just are genuine and who are kind and who are just good people. I mean, you can see the goodness in people, even if they don't love Jesus, you can see the good. And I want to be the kind of person that sees the good in people and in strangers and in relationships. And so that's what I work really hard to do. That is amazing. I think that the whole toilet paper thing is valid because I also get irritated when anyone, like I'm that person that will switch the role at someone's house. Wait, um, so are you the on top or are you Yeah, are you under? on top or are you underneath? Because now we need to decipher which way is the right way. So this is something that my husband and I debate because I am totally underneath because I like to pull it from the underneath so it doesn't rip as it goes is as it's going over the top. But my husband used to work as a patent examiner. And so he actually looked up the patent of toilet paper and in the picture it goes over the top. So I'm actually the one apparently that you just have to improve on things, though. That's what you do. You you, you improve on other people's patents. So I love underneath because I like. I think it flows better. I'm an on top person. I'm also on top. <laughs> but I sometimes the thing is my kids' bathroom. It's underneath because they can't pull it as easily and make a mess. That's but in true. my bathroom, it's how I want it. <laughs> my mom was always it had to be on top because when you were in charge of cleaning the bathroom, she knew that you did it. Well, sometimes you were sneaky and you pretended to clean the bathroom as long as you pointed the toilet paper then it was like you cleaned it because that was the last step (laughs) so sometimes I didn't fully clean the bathroom I just wiped off the counter and then folded the toilet paper and pointed it like she likes and then I cleaned the bathroom but she's like Heather I always knew I'm like no you didn't no as a mom you really do you always know now we know (laughs) so when you and your husband got together how did you explain to him your family dynamic So when I have conversations with people, I'm very open and honest with them. I feel like it's better than trying to like introduce him to my family and go home and be like, well, that was really weird. Like he already knew what my situation was because we were friends. And so he knew what he was getting into um, when he married me. I I didn't even know this, but apparently we were friends before. Like I knew him before. Apparently we went to a dance together. And like, I didn't go with him, but we went in the same group. And he, I was like, no, no. And he showed me a picture like a year before that I had been in a group date with him. And I didn't even remember. That's terrible, isn't it? But anyway, my <laughs> so when we met, we both worked on the Good Times Committee. So we were in charge of dances. So I like helped with the decorations and planning. He was the DJ. And so that's how we met. And we, so we were friends before and he asked me, I say it's our first date. He's like, it was not a date, but I'm pretty sure it was. I was a return missionary 
And I was the only one that he knew of that could go to the temple. So I go. And the funny thing is, is that there is a lady in the temple, like one of those cute temple workers. And she's like, oh, you two are such a cute couple. I was like, oh, we are not a couple. Like we are not a couple because my husband has red hair. And my, I was, I swore that I would never marry a redhead. Like it was just like, I will never marry a redhead. And God is up there going, oh, that's so funny that you say that, Tiffany, because like he obviously is my soulmate in so many ways. And then when he told me some things about his family, I was like, wow, we kind of are very similar in our, in our situations. So it just worked out. And we, we always tease that if we would have never found anyone else, no one else would have wanted to step into our crazy. Um, so we are very lucky to have found each other. I would like to say that you can tell him that I said that that is a date. You just have this ability to be such a light. And because you went through so much darkness that you are almost like the hand for other people that are in that darkness to say, hey, you're not alone. Like, I don't I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but like, you're like the glimmer. Do you know what I mean? Like you, I just feel like you spread that so easily and effortlessly. So like, teach us how you just like, just do it so easily and effortlessly, please. Like, give us the advice to like, how can we spread that light how do you do that? <laughs> First of all, you guys are very kind to me. Thank you. I think um, for me, it is recognizing that I'm not the light that the Savior is and recognizing like my prayers are always help me spread your light. Help me spread your love. Help me help your children. I had this dream once and in this dream, I was climbing up like the stairway to heaven. Like it was this glass staircase behind me was the earth and up above me was heaven. And it was just this glass staircase, just very thin. As you step up there, like these little like places where you could just stop and rest, right? These little flat surfaces. And then you'd walk up some more steps and there'd be flat surfaces. As I was walking up the steps, like this darkness came, like this just veil of darkness, this mist of darkness came. And as the mist of darkness came, I got scared. Like I was so afraid. I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere because I can't see the light. I can't feel the light. And the spirit said, look up and reach out reach out your hands. And so I looked up and I saw these hands coming through the mist and I grabbed hold of them. I reached up my hands and I grabbed hold of them and he pulled me to this level where it was above the mist of darkness and I could see clearly um, the people walking up the stairs. And I looked and I recognized that it was the savior that had pulled me up. And I, in my dream, I started dancing because <laughs> I was just so joyful. It was like my way of rejoicing and glorifying God, right? And just thanking him for where pulling me out of the darkness. And then all of a sudden I looked down and my heart got really sad. And I saw that all of Heavenly Father's children were still in the darkness. And I turned to the Savior with tears in my eyes and I said, what can I do to help? Like, how can I help them? And he said, lift them up the way I lifted you. That is kind of what I try to do is I try to bring hope to people and I try to help them focus on the light because yes, being in the darkness, there's, it's not a bad thing because without the darkness, you wouldn't recognize the joy of the light, right? So that's what I do is I try to help people see the light in their lives and recognize the light in themselves. And I think that if we do that more often and see the good in people, then we can do that for Heavenly Father, help bring his children home to him. That's beautiful. I love that you said recognizing the light in yourself. And I think it's easy to forget that we all can harness the light and that we can spread the light. 
when you are going through those struggles and those hard times and it's like that mist of darkness, like it clouds your view of the world and you can get sucked down into that hole, but it just takes a glimmer for you to remember who you are, where you came from, that you have a purpose and that you have a light and you can shine like you can shine. And I love that. So we just want to know, what can we expect to see from you in the future? Are you working on anything new? Like what's going on? It's interesting that you ask because I feel like it's time for me to start writing for me again. We'll actually start writing for the Lord, right? So I have a book that I'm working on called Clothed in the Armor of Light that I'm super excited to um, share with people. I have a newsletter called It's a Light Thing. Um, I, I have a video about my story like a, that I can share that's a, just a video that talks about hope and the importance of hope in our lives. I don't know. I guess I'll see where the Lord takes me, right? I, I'm still writing for clients. I still have clients, but I feel like I need to step into the space. I have, have a children's book that I have illustrators working on and just just a space of spreading light. That's where I'm at. So hopefully you'll see more books from me very soon. I feel like... Uh, it's time for me to start putting my name out there again. So hurrah. Hurrah. That's going to be so good. I'm so excited. I know. I'm really like, excited. Children's book, newsletters, like all the things. Yes. So exciting. Well, we'd like to thank you so much for spending your afternoon, your afternoon with, with us. us. Yeah. Helping us also spread the light and empower other women and our listeners. I know we got some men out there. Let's shout out to you. Yeah. And just being able to feel seen and understood. And I know that this is going to touch who it needs to touch and hopefully allow each and every one of you to be able to step into your own light and to be able to spread that and be the goodness that you want to see in the world. And all it takes is practice. You can't start it unless you practice. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy right out of the gate, but practice. Yeah. Thank you, Tiffany, for being here. Thank you. You just finished another episode of the Sex and Motherhood podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Are you feeling inspired? Go ahead, rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Make sure to head on over to the show's notes for all the links and info on our amazing guest this week. I want to hear your biggest takeaway. Skip on over to Instagram and leave a comment about your favorite part at sexandmotherhood.podcast. And remember to share with all your friends too. Meet you here next week.